You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 578 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is uh, Friday for everybody listening to this podcast, most likely, and I recorded an interview uh, earlier in the week on Wednesday evening with Jackson Frank of The Athletic and Liberty Ballers and The Step Back, all kinds of places on the internet about the NBA draft. Jackson and I went um, decently long on uh, the draft and kind of all the players that you might think we would discuss. His favorite guys, I kind of want to let him cook on, on some guys that I think he has a favorable opinion on versus some guys he's a little bit lower on, and I'm sure Hawks fans will be, you know, Pro some takes and anti some takes. That's kind of the nature of the beast. This kind of this time of year, we also talk about the business itself, et cetera, et cetera. Talking about just sort of the opinions that are out there and how things work in uh, draft Twitter, et cetera. So hope, hopefully everybody enjoys this particular podcast. Just keep in mind that it was recorded on Wednesday. Not too much has changed though since then, so it should be uh, up to date. And this will be our Friday show for this week. I will not have another show until at least next week. I'm dealing with some family stuff right now and some work stuff and just without going too deep into things. Unless there's a crazy uh, breaking news story, we'll come back next week with more content. And without further ado, here is the podcast with Jackson Frank. Jackson, thanks for joining me, sir. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you today? I'm all right. Uh, it's it's draft season, and it's uh, it's time to talk about some prospects. I know you are knee-deep in this stuff as I am. Uh, first, I've been asking everybody what they kind of make of this class. I think the the general consensus is that it's not the greatest class in the world, but some people that I've talked to on the pod are a little bit more optimistic and maybe have different tier systems. So generally, you know, before we get to, to specific specific players, do you see this draft as as weak as everybody else seems to think it is? Yeah, you know, I think I think if you view the draft as like just kind of the best the best way to organically acquire a, a star, I think yeah, I mean it's not it's not super high on uh, star power. Somebody asked me the other day if I thought Zion would have more All NBA selections or the rest of the class would have more All Star selections, and I picked Zion. Um, but I do think there's a lot of guys who could be really useful players. Um, as I've been kind of trying to tinker with my top 30, uh, I like a lot of the guys in that kind of eight to eight to kind of 20 range or so. Um, I mean, not a ton, but to the point where I'm like, well, I don't want to move them too far down or them too too high. Um, so I'd say in terms of star power, yeah, it's not a great draft, but I do think there's a lot of guys who five years from now we're going to call a good, maybe a low-level starter, a good rotation player, just someone who provides provides value in their role. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, that's an interesting question to think about, you know, all-star appearances for Zion versus the field kind of thing. Um, and I think generally, I mean, I agree with you that this is a, a very flat class outside of number one. Somebody usually pops, even in a bad draft. Some someone someone in this class will be a five time All Star probably. We don't know who it is yet, um, but I kind of agree with you that it's not uh, easy to find star power. Um, <laughs> and you know, with that in mind, you know, the Hawks is the Hawks podcast, obviously, and the, the picks they landed are eight and ten. And you know, normally dropping from five to eight would be uh, kind of brutal the way the lottery played out, and it obviously isn't a great a great result. But in this class, 
it doesn't seem like that's going to be the biggest drop or the most influential drop in the world. And we've kind of centered on a bunch of guys who, you know, are often mocked there. Um, before we get to the guys who are often discussed, I know um, you're higher on a couple of guys that probably aren't necessarily always linked to Atlanta. Um, I had Ben Pfeiffer on the pod a couple of uh, days ago, maybe about a week ago. And I thought he was high on Grant Williams, and then I uh, read your big board today. <laughs> so uh, let's let's talk about Grant Williams some. He seems to be a popular topic, especially on the internet. I feel like the internet is definitely higher on him than most of the mocks and maybe teams are. But what do you see in him? And uh, is he someone that you think the Hawks should consider at either 8 or 10? Yeah, I know. I mean, I I had a, a piece yesterday on him over the fan side as a step back. Um, and, and really, I mean, I, I let off with it just saying, like, sometimes I watch him and I just kind of chuckle to myself because, like, he, he makes the game look really easy. I know... I know good college players are far from easy, easy uh, tra- translation for a good NBA player, but I think a lot of the things he does are super valuable. I know he's an incredibly smart player. Like I think that's that's a, kind of an underrated trait today. Guys who are smart, te- uh, if they're skilled in other ways, they tend to find a way to uh, be impactful. Um, he's really, really strong functionally, uh, and I touched on this in my piece too. But I think that's an important distinction: is not just being strong but being strong functionally, you know, a guy like DeAndre Ayton, who's very big, but doesn't always use his size to the most, to his ceiling, you know, whereas Grant Williams is just under 6'8", but super strong and always uses it to his advantage. Um, I like that. Really good passer, which kind of ties into the IQ. Uh, really good defensive awareness. So those are kind of the big traits I touched on. And uh, when people ask me or when I, when I wrote my piece yesterday, um, so yeah, I have him fifth, but I have, everyone from four through nine on my board in kind of the same tier. So if somebody wanted to rank him ninth, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, Oh, that's, that's absurd. Anything, obviously, especially because he's being mocked in the late teens at the highest and somewhere in the, the mid thirties at the lowest. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm de- I, it's kind of funny. I, I think I might've said this in the last week's pod with Ben too, but um, I feel like I was high on Grant Williams like three weeks ago and I have him like in the late teens, early twenties. And now I feel like I'm really low, which is kind of funny. Um, but uh, you know, Without going too deep into him necessarily, and people should definitely read the piece that you wrote. The questions that I got after uh, hearing Ben to talk, Ben talk about it were kind of upside related. Like, you know, what do you think is the realistic ceiling for Grant Williams? I think kind of everyone agrees that he has a pretty intriguing floor, but what does it look like if it actually works with Grant Williams? Like, is he someone who could be a high end starter or better than that, or is it so, is it something where it's it's more of a floor play than a ceiling play? Yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't think he's going to be a guy who we're talking about as a five-time All Star in ten years or anything. But the the role I kind of see him thriving in would maybe be current day Paul Millsap. He's not as long and probably not as good of a, a helps a rim protector just because he's not going to be. He doesn't have a seven-one wingspan. I think is what Millsap has. Um, but kind of that same role, both plus passer their position. Not a guy you want to rely on as your primary rim protector, but if he's guy making rotations, that's pretty solid. Um, both very cerebral players. Uh, obviously, Millsap made a few all-star teams uh, with the Hawks, but that's not something he's ever going to do moving forward in his career. So I think that would be kind of the ceiling I'd give him, top 40-ish player, top somewhere around there. Um, I mean, I haven't sorted out my player rankings in a while. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, so I don't know where I don't know where I'd put Paul Millsap. But that type of guy who I think is is kind of the people who watch a lot of NBA are going to, you know, they kind of say Paul Millsap's maybe a little underrated. And he had a great year this year. It wasn't talked about a ton. Um, on the mainstream landscape, but that kind of guy, you know, just uh, does a lot of things at a very high level. Um, can probably shoot a few threes. I'm pretty high on Grant Williams becoming a decent 
three-point shooter. Um, and obviously, that's a facet of Millsap's game that took some time to develop, but um, he's fairly competent from there now. Yeah, and that's it's interesting. I, I do think that he is an intriguing player. I wouldn't um, say I'm as high as you or Ben or come a couple. I got I know Brian Scherer is really high on him as well, and I, I trust all of your evaluations. I think I'm a little bit lower, but it's always interesting to see where things uh, split this time of year. I know um, one of the guys who is often mocked in the Hawks range and that I really like is Brandon Clark, who I know you love. So uh, were you a, – A, were you scared at all about the wingspan, and B – um, with that out of the way, I know you still have him really high. So tell people what they can expect to see if uh, the Hawks or somebody else drafts Brandon Clark. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, being that I, I go to Gonzaga, I got to watch him up close in person upwards of 10, 12 times this year. Um, and obviously, he's watching a little bit in practice before games. But um, so, yeah, I, mean, I think I'm, 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 I'm fine acknowledging maybe there's a little bit of bias just because I'm a Gonzaga guy or whatever. But um, I do think it's one. It's similar to Williams in the in the sense that he's really good at basketball, and I buy a lot of his skills being projectable to the NBA level. Um, really good rim protector, uh, like Grant, but uh, different because he's not super strong. Like strength is something he's going to really need to improve on. Um, but just incredible verticality and timing and awareness. Um, his vertical leaping is like he's probably the he's the best non-Zion athlete. Um, in the class, in my opinion, or at least of the prospects, you know, there's some pretty good athletes, but not ones that you maybe want to draft anywhere in the top 20 or 30 or whatever. Um, and then I really think he's a guy who can be a nice pick and roll threat in due time. I think he's going to hit spot up threes, um, maybe some pick and pop threes, just because he's worked so hard to refine his mechanics at San Jose State. Um, it was just terrible. It looked like he, I don't know, like a shot put, I guess, if he's throwing a shot put, that's what like, his, his jumper looked like. Now, it's not ideal currently but i just trust um the improvements he made with his mechanics his free throw percentage took a huge jump this year um it's still not great but i think that sign of growth is encouraging and then his touch around the rim on floaters and layups um is really is really encouraging as well um, just in terms of shooting a soft shot and from deep and then i think he's got some nice passing upside too you know we didn't see it a ton uh at gonzaga but um he had some nice kickouts from the to the wing from the from the block uh, a couple of nice plays when he was rolling the basket as a pick and roll guy um but i just think he's a really really good athlete and if you watched him you knew that his wingspan play wasn't very long and that wasn't the reason he was such a good rim protector and defensive player in the first place yeah and i think it's interesting like it's basically a lot of it comes down to whether you think you can shoot or not but i, I do think that his touch is, as you referenced there, is really underrated. Like that's, it's very, very good, and I think that might pretend, um, I guess, or maybe foresee some growth with his jump shots. Not, it's not pretty, um, but there was already growth with it. Like, do you think he can be a, a average shooter? Because if he's an average shooter, then you know, a lot of things lock into place. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously average shooter is a very relative term based on sure. position and role. <laughs> Yes. Um, well, yeah, I, I just, you know, if someone's listening and they're like, oh, he's not going to be a 37% guy in four attempts or anything. But, um, yeah, I think for his role, I think he's a guy who in due time is going to be fine from there. Um, I don't know exactly what he shot this year. It wasn't good. It was, it was low volume, but the thing that kind of bothers me with both, uh, Clark and Grant, when they talk about, oh, they didn't shoot very much. It's like, well, if you watch them, like, why the hell would they, like, why would they shoot a bunch of threes when they're like two top five players in college basketball, you know? So I think in, in, in a role that asked him to shoot a little more, he should be okay. Um, I saw a video maybe earlier this week, um, a Hornets, I think, named Rod, I want to say Rod Boone, Hornets guy for the Athletic, 
uh, have some video of Clark at a Hornets workout, um, and it looked a little different. Uh, his release his mechanics a little more fluid, lower release point, a little farther from his face. Um, so you you can tell he's still trying to kind of figure out the best way to maximize his shooting ceiling. Um, but yeah, to, to make a, a long story short, I am confident that he can be a league average shooter for what he's asked to do in the NBA. And that would just do a lot for him, obviously, when you're talking about that kind of athleticism and all that uh, fun stuff. And I, I think personally, from a Hawks standpoint, um, pairing him with John Collins makes a ton of sense because Collins isn't a traditional center, but he obviously can play there a little bit. Clark, same same kind of thing, more of this like hybrid 4-5. And if you put those guys on the court together, you're very athletic, not super-duper long, but extremely explosive. And uh, Clark with some rim protection upside and all that fun stuff, I think that pairing makes a lot of sense. I know, I know you're not a huge uh, Hawks devourer of content, but do, do you see that pairing working uh, as, a, as a potential if Clark were to be available and the Hawks were taken eight, eight or ten? Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I obviously I, I didn't watch anywhere close to as many Hawks teams as you, but uh, yeah, just the general sense I got from watching them the number of times, I don't know, 10, 12, 15, 20, whatever it was. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously Collins, uh, he shows some flashes defensively, but uh, generally speaking, it's always going to be a place we think he struggles just because of his kind of lack of uh, great length and defensive instincts on that on that side of the ball. Uh, I guess defensive instincts on that side of the ball is redundant. But uh, anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's a pretty good pairing. I, th- like I said, you're going to have to have one of them become a pretty solid shooter. Um, obviously, Collins showed some growth this year in terms of willingness to shoot non-corner threes, and also uh, his volume went up, I believe, and on the numbers in front of me, but um yeah i would i mean both of them i think have shown enough as shooters um for me to be like yeah one of them's gonna shoot and the spacing will be generally fine and they're both such good uh athletes uh vertically that there'll be, still be great spacing because defense will have to worry about the lob threat um so guys like herder and and trey will be be fine uh, as ball handlers so yeah i think it's a fine a, a pretty good uh pairing though i think the three guys that have kind of been linked to eight or ten with the hawks or or the three bigs would be like uh, Goga, Jackson Hayes, and, and Clark. Um, and I, I'm not, I mean, I think Clark would be a good fit there. He probably wouldn't be my, my first pick just based on fit. Um, obviously, talent, I'd have him there. But I, I think, generally speaking, he'd, he'd do well there um, and be no real issues with Collins. Yeah, I was going to ask you because I know, at least you're, you're relatively high versus the consensus, I think, on both of uh, Goja and, um, and Hayes. At least you're reasonably like, around that time i'm saving the guys that you're lower on for later just so you know uh and the but you know since you referenced those guys do you you know what do you think about both of them i think uh goji in particular is seems to be pretty fast rising from where he was a few months ago on a lot of boards and a lot of hawks fans seem to like that theoretical um idea of him and then of course you have the more traditional guy in Hayes that's been there all year but is uh, kind of an interesting fit with what the Hawks are doing because he is that, you know, very lanky rim runner type. He's more skilled than you might think and obviously a great athlete and pretty fluid. But what do you think about those two guys, both individually and kind of as they contrast with one another? Yeah, you know, I have them back to back on my on my big board. I have them seventh and eighth. Um, they're both guys I really like a lot. Um, but I just like the guys ahead of them a little more. Uh but obviously, again, I said four through nine is all in the same tier, so it's just a matter of, of fractional differences. Um, but yeah, I, I Gogo would Goga Goja. I'm gonna botch out of the way, but I'm, I'm the same way as you. I can't decide which one it is, but it's just what it is. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with Goga, but um, yeah, he's probably among those three bigs of Clark and 
and Hayes and him. Uh, he's the guy I think I like the most just because I think he is going to be the best shooter of the three. Um, last I checked, his percentages aren't that good, but he just shoots a really smooth and easy shot, um, which I like. And I think his free throw percentage is good. Um, I know that's not always the best uh, uh, indicator just because sometimes good free throw shooters are good from three. Um, but he shoots a really easy shot. I like his rim protection too. He's not a super vertical or explosive guy, um, but generally pretty solid on that end. And I really like his passing and his fluidity on offense. It's really cool to see. Just watched the game of the week, and they ran him, they ran him off like a, a screen to the elbow, and he took a screen to the elbow or a flare screen, whatever, and then took a one another screen going downhill, and it was like this dude's like seven feet tall or whatever, and he's 19. So I think just the the skill that he has and the production he's put up uh, against pretty good competition at a young age uh, is really impressive there. With Hayes, I think he's probably the least – solid bet to become a good shooter um but he definitely has a lot of upside because the game is relatively new to him i think he's only been playing basketball full-time since i want to say like junior year of high school or something he played football for a while but then i guess he said like at the nba draft come on he just like got too tall and i mean obviously makes sense he's like 6'10 or whatever 6'11 um but i think in terms of defensively he probably makes the most sense next to collins um because he is he is huge and he has good he has good size and length uh, he's probably going to be, he plays with such a nice fluidity too, a different type of fluidity than, than Goga. Um, and he's such a good play finisher. He and Collins, like the, the efficiency around the rim between those two, uh, would be absurd together. I think, uh, Hayes shot like over 80% at the rim this year. Um, obviously most of that is based off just getting lobs or whatever. Um, I think like over 80% of them were assisted, but with that football background, he has such good hands that he, his catch radius is like gigantic. So you throw the ball. Uh, it doesn't really matter where it, where it is. He'll probably reach it and, and, and finish at the rim. Um, and I, I like his passing upside a little bit too. Not not as much as Clark or, or Goga, but um, because of the age and because of how kind of relatively new he is to the sport, uh, I think he's going to get better there. Um, so if I had to like kind of power rank my fit among those three, uh, disregarding talent, it'd be Goga, uh, Hayes, and then Clark in that order. Do you think Goga can play defense? That's that's kind of the question. Is like I, I know he has decent feet, and I've been a little bit encouraged by what I've seen recently. I candidly have seen less of him than the other two, just just because of ease of watching. But I have been watching him a lot the last couple of weeks. Do you think that's is he going to be able to hold defensively? I guess is the biggest question with him, just because he's not the kind of pure athlete that someone like Hayes is. Yeah, I mean it's, it's interesting. It's uh, bringing another big. Uh, that might go to the Hawks, but it's a little like uh, bull bull in the sense that Goga is super fluid on offense, but defensively it doesn't quite carry over. Um, not to the same degree. Uh, I, I do think Gogo will generally be fine. I don't think he's a guy you want running a one through five switch defensive scheme, uh, but I do think uh, in a pinch he could be okay there. Um, he just kind of plays with heavy feet a little bit and struggles to turn his hips quickly, um, which is generally... I mean, he's not like a super like skinny dude, so it makes makes sense. You know, Grant Williams is the same way. Um, so I, I do think he'll be fine there. I really like his rim protection. Um, just, I mean, he's not super not super t- uh, vertically explosive, but I just think he generally has a, a good understanding of timing and, and kind of instincts on that end. Um, See, so yeah, I don't think he's going to be a guy you ever point to and goes, oh, he's a really really good defensive center, but he's the kind of guy you're not going to be like, oh, he's a disaster and just kind of blowing up their their scheme. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's it's almost more of a concern in Atlanta because they just don't have that much defensive talent around the uh, the rest of the roster. But in a vacuum, I, I kind of agree. I think he's going to be okay. I just kind of worry um, more with the fit. But that's for another day. Uh, we can talk about that later. Um, 
pivoting a little bit to the guys you are less excited about. And uh, there are four of them that I wrote down. You can tell me if I'm wrong about any of these guys based on your board, but um, I'll go I'll, I'll go through them. And I'll, and by the way, these are guys who are regularly mocked to the Hawks, all four of them in some <laughs> way shape or form so that's kind of why i think this is very interesting for me um and they are all these combo forward types you're deandre hunters cam reddish seku and nas little um i think you're lower than the consensus on, on all four of those guys would i be right about that uh yeah i mean i think i think that that makes sense um yeah i mean the consensus just publicly yeah i think obviously draft twitter is kind of its own little niche but it yeah i think is, generally, yeah. generally speaking yeah I'm, I'm definitely lower um on those four guys I'll, I'll start with Reddish because he's the guy who's been linked to the Hawks openly for like five months. Um, and I'm not sure I can tell you with certainty that they like him. I'm not sure how much just yet. And that's, you know, I'm trying to be uh, sourcing and all that stuff. They do like him and that's been reported and I can confirm that. But how much is kind of an open question. But what do you, what do you think about Cam Reddish? I think obviously he was not a very good college basketball player, which is something you have to kind of lead with. But um, how does that translate for you? And uh, how did you land where you landed on him? Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of the guys that it's, it's super tough uh, to evaluate because, I mean, as much as we do try to say, you know, you got to, to an extent, throw kind of pedigree and, and recruiting rankings with these guys, uh, it is tough. You know, he, he's a top three prospect or whatever, and it's it's tough to just think whoever made that ranking doesn't know what they're talking about. Um, so I have him 16th, but he's kind of in that next tier for me after nine um, where I, I mean, I haven't really broken up my, my rankings into tiers uh, specifically, but... Um, he's a guy who probably would be okay with as high as about 12 um, and as low as about, I guess, 17. I guess he's probably about as low as I have him, but or I could put him. But um, I do trust his defense. If we're going to talk like talk about positives, like I think he's going to be a pretty dang good defender. Um, not all defense or anything. You know, he, for a while I got some Paul George comps, and that just didn't make sense both uh, offensively or defensively. But I think he's he, he moves his feet well. He has a good physical profile. He knows what he's doing on that end. Um He's prone to some spacing or kind of some spaciness off the ball, but most young guys are. Um, but I trust his defense enough to the point where I think he's going to be a, an overwhelming positive. Uh, and then I think he's going to be a good shooter. Like, I I, I don't know how versatile he's going to be, but uh, the mechanics are smooth. The free throw percentage is good, I believe. Um, and I just think his like he just has a smooth, a smooth jump shot. So I trust him there. It's kind of everywhere else. You know, I think he's shown some flashes of nice shot creation with step backs and spin moves every now and then. Um, but he's such an, a, a terrible finisher, um, just above 50% at the rim. And it's because he just doesn't really have any like explosiveness around the rim to kind of power over guys or finish around guys, um, which is super concerning kind of as it pertains to him creating off the dribble, uh, getting by guys a lot, uh, functioning as kind of a pick and roll ball handler from time to time. Um, but I think there's going to be things he certainly does well uh, in the NBA, but I just don't – it's tough to look – completely past his his tough rookie his tough freshman year because of how inefficient he was and a role that should have been fairly efficient kind of playing that third that third cog in the offense even if maybe it was kind of a weird transition playing next to Zion and RJ but um I think there'll be things he does well it's just me worrying about you know how much how much is that really valuable if a guy just hits spot up threes and plays pretty good defense but nothing nothing elite yeah I mean that's kind of what you know if you're banking on him, you definitely have to think he can shoot it and play defense. I, I kind of agree with that. It's just the other stuff. You know, he was billed as this, you know, point forward type. The finishing, as you reference, has been really bad. Um, but, you know, if you watch him in an empty gym, he looks great. And you can sort of see how he uh, how he's going to rise in this process. And, I mean, honestly, 
I've been saying, and a lot of people have been saying that are around the league and covering it, that he might just be gone by the time the Hawks are picking at eight, which I, I don't think that's necessarily something that other teams should do, but he's someone who <laughs> seems to be rising, um, which is predictable and also kind of funny. Well, he'll, he'll, he'll look good in an open gym. You know, it's not necessarily a knock on him, but uh, he's big. He has kind of a smoothness to his game that exudes it being easy to him. Uh, he's long. He shoots the ball well in an open gym. So um, he's, 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 he's a lot like uh, Kevin Knox in that sense, that he's going to look really good in an open gym because he's big and he has a nice shooting stroke. Um, not necessarily to, to knock Knox. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of him, but uh, just those type of guys, those bigger guys who can shoot and look smooth doing it generally kind of rise um, in an open gym with scouts uh, as the actual game tape gets farther and farther in the past. Um, it's tough to just kind of let those things prevail. For sure. And I think, um, yeah, he's a, he's a pretty polarizing guy in some ways because his EYBL stuff was so good and interesting and then his college stuff was not. So that's kind of uh, predictable in the way that this everybody's kind of split on Cam. Um, DeAndre Hunter is somebody who, you know, I think is going to probably be gone by the time the Hawks pick, but he could be there. And, you know, he had the uh, really interesting and productive tournament. He had the big game on the big stage. I've always kind of liked him, but I think I'm probably higher on him than most um, and certainly higher than I think you are on him. But what what do you like about Hunter? What do, you, what do you not like about Hunter? Because he's someone who just isn't sexy, and I think that's been the case forever. He got some more of that, you know, casual fan shine during the tournament. <laughs> but, uh, you know, even before that, there was a lot of uh, pushback on him being interesting just because he's not a lot of fun as a prospect. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, for a while, uh, like, I had him low, and I couldn't quite, like, figure out, like, why – why it was I, I just didn't get great vibes from him and uh it kind of clicked just talking to some people and internally that uh he gives me uh like his offensive game or at least his scoring package like kind of strongly resembles Rui Hachimura um and that and not that I mean and to me that's a negative thing just because I think their their game kind of based on these face-ups and uh these kind of mid-range jumpers low three three-point volume uh, not a versatile uh, shooter from three besides a couple of spot ups um, is kind of concerning. And then I think his, his defense is, is pretty good on ball. Um, obviously he did some really good things against Jarrett Colton, the national championship. Uh, really good. I don't know if I said pretty, but really good things. Um, so I think he's going to be good on ball there, but um, his off ball awareness is pretty concerning, especially if, and he's, he's a little older. And I think some of his defensive ability was, was based on the fact that he was just kind of st- stronger than a lot of guys. I know that sounds hypocritical because I was just praising Grant Williams 15 minutes ago. Um, but I don't think it's anywhere close to the same type of strength. So I do worry a little bit there. Um, it's just to me, I don't see a huge, a huge upside or appeal in his offensive game. If he shoots a couple of threes a game, three threes a game. Um, I do think he has some nice passing, passing upside, um, flashed every now and then. But um, to me, it's just a lot of worries about uh, a lack of really valuable offense Uh or valuable defense besides kind of a one-on-one isolation stopper, which is valuable. But I think, you know, in a, in today's NBA where there's so many different things, you have to kind of follow off the ball and you're not just denying the man or your man. Um, it's kind of tough to really think just one-on-one defense is, is the way to buy into an elite defender. Yeah. And I, uh, that's, that's definitely the, um, I don't want to say knock. Cause I think he's, you know, everybody kind of agrees he's, he might might be a pretty good pro it's just the upside factor with him because he is older that's the number one knock that I've heard and with good reason you know guys at his age that you know he definitely took a step forward but you know he's 
should have taken a step forward at his age versus competition. So um, if you, uh, you know, on-ball defense, shooting, there, there's, there's a 3-and-D interesting player in there, but it's just it's just not sexy at all, which I totally understand. Uh, it's, and that kind of just leads to the value proposition. I think in, you know, in a normal draft, I think he would certainly not be projected in the top eight or nine. Um, this year, he's probably going to go in that range just because this draft is not terribly fun uh, or productive, but I, I totally get it. I think people are used to seeing this kind of player be like the 15th pick in the draft versus projected to be like the seventh pick in the draft. And that's part of that's the class and just part of that's just the whole, it's kind of a weird dichotomy in this class overall, I think, because there's, there's just guys that have the profile of players that just wouldn't be going as high as are projected to go. Yeah. It's kind of the thing where, you know, you see Hunter mocked like uh, and I think ESPN keeps uh, during the comment they kept uh, throwing Jay Billis's big word up there, and he had like Hunter's like fourth or fifth on his best available player, and so you see this guy who's like fourth or fifth, and then you you see these other people, and they're like twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, and you're like, what? like these people don't know anything. Like he was, he averaged like sixteen points a game or whatever, fifteen points a game, forty four percent from three, elite one on one defender. I saw him shut down Jared Culver, you know, like you're right. crazy having that low, but but then you, yeah, like you said, you if he was just normal, like 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 I don't think he's a better prospect than McHale Bridges by any means. And McHilbert just went tenth last year. Um, I agree. By the so, way, and I, I mean, I, and I wasn't super duper high on him, but I, I agree with you. I think if you put those guys in the same draft, Bridges goes ahead of Hunter. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So if you put Hunter like twelfth, then it's like, oh, okay, maybe it makes a little more sense. You know, there's just, and I, I, I don't try to just be solely based on upside or based on floor. Um, it honestly, my ranking kind of depends on where exactly uh, that that draft slot is, but. Yeah, it's just one of those things where because the class isn't great and because he's been mocked highly and he was uh, he, he did a lot of good things on the national champion that uh, it's tough to kind of wrap your brain around a good college player and good defender who shot well from three being anything worse than like the, the ninth pick or whatever in the draft. Yep, and that makes uh, a ton of sense. Um, the two guys that we I teased a minute ago that I wanted to ask you about are uh, – you know, one is more unknown in Seku, and the other is Nas Little, who kind of like Reddish had this uh, big profile coming in and then had a uh, an uneven freshman season. Um, you have these guys outside of the top 20, is that right? Uh, yeah. yeah. And that is, uh, I think, going to be seen as controversial. I'm not, I know you're not alone on that, to be sure, but, I, you know, there's some people, especially with Nas, who are very polarizing. I think people have him still in the top 10 on potential, and then the people that just are completely out almost in the, after watching him play. Um, you could take these guys in any order that you want to, but to talk about what you see in both of those players. Yeah. Uh, you know, with, with Seku, it, it's tough. Uh, I think that's, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but, um, so apologies if I am to anyone who knows how to pronounce it and is listening to this, listening <laughs> no to this, but, um, yeah, you know, I think he's tough because like, I just, I, I'll be honest. I just haven't watched him as much as a lot of the other guys because it's tough to find, film unless i'm staying up at 3 a.m and watching watching them play and, and uh whatever so um but i just i i am probably someone who's a little more risk averse when it comes to these kind of tantalizing physical tools without a lot of skill um guys and i think i think he does a lot of nice things at, at times you know I, I think he'll be a pretty good shooter um he's got a really high arc on his on his jumper which is which is humorous but uh fairly fluid mechanics he's young um, I like the way he can kind of cover cover space with his long strides, um, but I just worry a lot about his defenses. Closeouts are like they're just terrible. I know closeouts aren't a huge like defining factor of a prospect, but they're just terrible and it's it's tough to watch. Um, you know, I, I just he's just one of those guys that I worry might not ever really be an NBA player. 
Um, even though I think I, I think maybe there is the kind of the outline of a a fairly solid dynamic long wing uh, who can hit some threes. Um, but yeah, and I, I'm fully admitting that maybe I'm just being angry and I haven't watched enough film or enough enough of his good games to give him a fair shake. Um, definitely going to try and find more between now and now and draft day in, in 22 days or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, so I have him 24th. I could see him moving up if I watch more and I get intrigued with some of his flashes. Obviously, the, the range I kind of have him is a lot of is around a lot of kind of unspectacular guys who are maybe higher floor but much lower ceilings. Um, so maybe he could vault up a little bit. Uh, and then with with uh, Nazel, it's just just tough like he was just really bad this year um and he didn't and even his flashes weren't even anything that were like whoa like we gotta we gotta put this guy in our top 12 you know even with reddish like you saw the flashes when you would kind of spin and hit a step back jumper off the dribble like okay that's pretty sweet uh with little it was maybe like like he's a pretty good transition slasher um which is nice but like you can't play in transition all the time in the nba um he kind of looks like a very good uh versatile wing uh on defense because he's strong and fairly athletic um but like his defense isn't very isn't very good uh it shows flashes but super inconsistent off the ball um didn't shoot well from three so like people kind of maybe bill him was a three and d wing with a little more uh juice off the dribble but he couldn't really defend or hit threes um so it's for me it's just tough to buy into him um i know he had a kind of a tough a tough role there coming off the bench and i acknowledge that and he seems to be a pretty high character guy um so he stayed in the first round for me i mean i, I have him uh 29th so just just squeaking in there um but just just there's never really been a game uh you know where i watched him and went, wow okay this guy's legit like i understand why he was such a highly coveted prospect i need to have him in my top 12 top top 14 uh just never really got there with him and i think that's pretty similar with a lot of a lot of people yeah i mean i'm higher on both guys than you are which is you know it's not like i don't see what you're saying either it's kind of funny because you know they're both I think Seku, I've risen on him and watching a little bit more, and I'll be interested to kind of follow up with you after this, and we'll talk some about what you see if you watch more of him. Because I, I was kind of, I had him in the 20s probably three weeks ago. He had the one big game, which I don't really base too much on. I think he you know, had this high-profile, like, 34-point game, which everybody got really excited about. It's not just that. <laughs> yeah. I, I've watched a ton of, of him the last few weeks, and I'm I'm intrigued. There's a lot of downside there, and I think even probably more than Nas, weirdly, because, you know, I think Seku's almost seen as safer now, which is, I'm not sure why exactly. Like, he is young. <laughs> He's really young, which is probably good um and you could you could definitely see the the talent and the length and the and sort of the fluidity and all that but uh he's an interesting player and Nas I know um I think part of it is just I'm just higher on the prototype of what he could be I think it's a lot of just valuing that position a ton right now with Nas Little I think if you if it works out you get a really valuable piece kind of that can play with kind of play anywhere um, in terms of on any team. But if it doesn't work out, it won't surprise me and it shouldn't surprise anybody, honestly, because it just, you know, there were a lot of holes. I'd still take him probably in the top 10 or 12, but you have to know going in that it's a, uh, it's a risk proposition. Like you kind of have to know that and just know what you're getting into and kind of see the safety net kind of going away. (laughs) Yeah. And for me, it was just one of the things when I watched him, you know, when he was given a little more, uh, lead, a longer leash in the half court like his decision making was just really poor um, and I just I just like struggled to see a lot of upside but um, even like when you even when he kind of had opportunities but the the thing with with me kind of the draft in general is you know like we're just not like watching all the same games you know like there's what like UNC played 35 games this year like I mean I watched double digits but like you could have watched 12 games and I could have watched 12 games and they could have been 
like not many of them overlapped, you know? So, um, I, you know, I the only time I really take exception to, to kind of rankings is when I just hear like a lot of like, like, I don't know, like generic, generic evaluation of a guy that's clearly just taken from draft express or something like that. But, um, you know, with people that I know are informed, it's like, I don't really have a huge issue a lot of times with rankings because like, we're just not all watching. We're not watching 40 different teams, all 30 games or whatever. Like that's just not feasible. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely maybe I'm missing the maybe I'm missing some games. You know, I watched. I know one of his big games was the Virginia Tech. Uh, this is obviously little uh, the Virginia Tech game. I think they blew him out. Uh, I think it was in in Chapel Hill, um, and that was a pretty big game for him. But again, it was like one of those things where you watch and a lot of it was just coming in transition. Um, but yeah, back to the point is just you know we're watching different games and we also value different things and uh, we're not all we don't all see everyone's role the same thing and and we see different flashes and that's kind of what makes this doing this thing uh fun and kind of divisive yeah it's absolutely fun Uh, i'm gonna ask you about some potential second round guys for the hawks in a second but i have to talk a little bit about grip six belts because today's show is brought to you by grip six ultra lightweight with no holes no flap and a great father's day gift so go to grip six because they have a special offer for you at this podcast at grip com slash lock and, uh, okay, we can, you know, it's interesting because this, the Hawks have these three second-round picks, 35, 41, 44, and, you know, they might not take them all, they might be packaging them, you know, it's all unknown at this point, other than the fact that Travis Slank said he does not want to have five rookies, so there's some flexibility here with stashes, etc. Anybody that you particularly want to point out as a potential value in their early second round. I know it gets tough to do that because guys could be gone, um, but guys who realistically could be there at 35 that you think would, would present big value if, or uh, whoever would take them there. Um, yeah, you know, it's tough because I mean, I, I, I just don't think I look at enough mock draft, you know, so sometimes like, uh, you know, where a guy's mocked and where he's ranked. That's probably uh, a good idea, by the way, <laughs> to avoid yeah, mock yeah. drafts altogether. Yeah, well, it's, you know, but you know what I mean? Like, it's tough, you know, I... I wish I could. I, I wish I could do that, by the way. It would be uh, <laughs> yeah. a lot easier for my evaluation purposes if I could just never look at a mock draft again, so I'm kind of with you on that one. Yeah, um, but with the second round target, you know, uh, the guy um, that I think I'm I'm fairly high on, uh, or a couple of guys I think would be kind of fun in that range would be a couple of kind of older wings, Terrence Davis from Ole Miss and Daquan Jeffries from Tulsa. Um uh, I know Ben Pfeiffer's high, pretty high on both of them, so he kind of he is. led me to both led me to both of them, or just kind of nudged me to look, check check them out. Um, same with uh, Ross Holman, I think from, from the Stepian. Uh, I think I pronounced that correctly this time. Uh, I went on a different podcast a couple weeks ago and botched the pronunciation of, of that. <laughs> I, site, do, so I, I do that all the time too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so if those are a couple of guys. You know, I think they're pretty dang good athletes. They meet the athletic threshold. Um, I like Davis a little more. I have him twenty six. I have Jeffries thirty one. Um, I like. I think Terrence Davis is probably a little better shot to just create off the dribble. I think he's a better athlete. Um, his defense is fairly impressive. I mean, it's it's a little tough to evaluate Jeffrey because he did play in a zone with Tulsa, um, but you saw a little more one-on-one defense uh, at the combine and at uh, Portsmouth Invitational. So just a couple of guys that I, I think are going to be pluses on both ends, uh, however minor that is. You know, pluses on both ends are nice, nice picks, and uh, obviously the. The Hawks could use some help on the wings, um, just as plug-and-play plug rotation guys. Both are can handle the ball a little bit as well. Um, I think they're safe bets to be competent shooters on spot ups at least, um, and they just they very much meet athletic thresholds in terms of uh, being an NBA athlete and being able to kind of create their own shot uh, in spurts. And I think they're solid passers as well. I, I think Davis is probably a little better, 
Um, but Jeffries, when I watch him, he just kind of keeps the ball moving, especially in transition. Um, and I know, that, I mean, last I remember, the, the Hawks played at like a frenetic pace. So if, uh, I mean, that's pretty valuable on a team like that. If you can have a guy who just keeps the ball moving, finds finds the open man, uh, things like that. So just a couple of guys that I like. Um, probably play mostly shooting guard, um, maybe a little bit of a three uh, in spurts. But um, just senior wings that I, I'm banking on to be solid rotation pieces um, down the line. Yeah, and that, I, I like both those, both of those guys as well. Um it's interesting. If the Hawks don't take a big at eight or ten, if they don't make both those picks, whatever it is, if they haven't if they haven't acquired a big when the second round starts, uh, I know Hawks fans are going to be uh, itching for someone. Is there a second round big man that you particularly like? Um, I know uh, obviously Jonte could go in the second round because of the injury stuff, and I know you like him. But other than other than Jonte, I think almost everyone agrees is this weird projection of a first round talent that might fall that far because of injury stuff. Anybody else that you think could fall there that's uh, interesting as a second round big? Man. yeah you know i'm i'm someone who isn't very high on second round bigs just because i think at that point you can probably find similar value uh on a two-way deal or in the g league or undrafted yep. free agent or in summer league um but you know if i had you know if guys that i think might go in that range uh or that i would put in that range if i had to uh, if i was like forced to have like a quota of like three or four bigs in the second round or whatever um a guy that i i think would be a i don't know if he's gonna he might go in the first round but um and i I might botch his name too, but uh, Cobb Gelly. I, I don't know. How, I can't remember how to pronounce. I think that's it. right from Florida State. I, I, I won't, I won't yeah. try his name either. But he's yeah. That's that, that's a guy who I have yeah. sort of there centered some, on as a, a possibility. He worked out for the Jazz the other day, and there was a pronunciation guide, and it was totally different than what I had uh, been saying <laughs> in my head for the last uh, three months or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I think he's a pretty solid bet to shoot. Um, he's not a very good like he's probably the worst passing big in in the draft, which isn't ideal. But um, I just think you know. Obviously, Dwayne Dedman was very valuable for the Hawks this year, and um, not necessarily sitting on the same player or anything, but he was in part valuable because he could space the floor um, from deep to allow uh, particularly Trey to, to drive in or Collins to finish inside. So, um, yeah, I think a big that can shoot from deep um, would be pretty valuable, and I'm not super high on, on him, but uh, he's probably going to be a solid shooter. Um, I don't think he's a total stiff in terms of mobility. I don't think he's going to be a, a super switchy guy or anything, but um, he's not not very mobile, but I don't think he's like, I don't think he's a lost cause there. Um, so that'd be kind of my, my pick. Obviously, Jonte is an easy one, um, but he obviously has his huge concerns with torn ACLs. Um, the other guys that would kind of probably go in the second round, um, I think, I don't, I'm not positive again, it's just tough, would be someone like Bruno Fernando. Uh, Daniel Gafford's probably a first round guy, I think. I'm not positive. Um, seems like 20s or early 30s, but I'm not huge in either of those guys. Um, I don't think either one's any better of a bet to shoot uh i just think you know with with a downhill driver not i guess trey's not a downhill driver but a guy who uh is is good getting to the lane um you want to pick and pop big who can come in for 12 to 15 minutes a night and not clog up the paint and, and mess things up for for collins or trey or herder or whoever they whoever they draft with eight and ten yeah those are guys that i think would be interesting and they might go in that range i think fernando might slip into the first round uh gafford seems to be you know, whatever, for whatever it's worth, projected to slide, slide the second now, but they could all be in that range. And uh, those three guys that I have circled, I'm kind of with you though that, you know, because the Hawks have these three picks, you know, taking 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 their favorite big wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But I think I'm on board with just taking shots at, you know, combo positional guys. Like, you know, they don't really need a point guard necessarily. I mean, they need a backup. 
but you know, that's not a huge priority either. Oh, I wanted to ask you this one guy I want to ask you about and that I haven't yet is that uh, it's a personal favorite of mine is that it's Ty Jerome because he keeps being discussed. And I think people, he's one of those like, to keep with the theme of this podcast, all these polarizing guys and Ty Jerome is very polarizing because <laughs> he's such a non-athlete, um, but he's also really skilled. So how do you think, um, you know, where, where, are you, where are you at on him? Is he even like, people don't even have him draftable and then they have people like that in, in, in like the top 20. So which of those are you or, or, or neither, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm fairly moderate on him. Uh, you know, I was a, as a Sixers writer, I've gotten... Uh, God knows how many questions about Ty Jerome in the last. Oh yeah, he'd be he'd be he'd be a fit there, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they they really like him. Uh, the fans do at least. So uh, I have him thirty third, um, which I think that is, right. is yeah. But I don't know. Like I said, I haven't I haven't really been in tune with uh, a lot of the mock drafts. I know Vestini had uh, in a mock draft he had him going twenty fourth the Sixers. Yeah, um, he's he's generally just because I see this stuff. He's somewhere in the you know. 20 to 35 range for most people yeah which is so know. i think it's i think of about about average but yeah like you said just the non-athlete is, is fairly concerning it's a reason i'm not that high on the kill alexander walker um and a lot of people like him because he has a nice skill package but um guys like that who i just worry about uh seeing how they're they're gonna be be able to do what they do um the next level you know if you're if you're not an athlete like Ty Jerome would be a great shooter if he never if he can never get open to shoot a three like <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter you know so um kind of worried there but he's a really really good passer um you know people have comped him to landry shamit a lot which i think is just kind of a it's just not a very good comp you know because yeah, shamit was quicker and not anywhere close to the passer um better wingspan too uh, maybe, maybe uh, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably because they both were point guards and i say that in quotation marks in college that probably won't be point guards in the nba but that's that's about where that and obviously the shooting but that's about where that ends though in terms of yeah uh, but no but yeah. yeah so i have him 33rd um so that's enough for me to kind of temper some expectations based on athletic limitations um but while acknowledging he's was a really really good player on a very good team and has a nice uh nice skill set that if he is athletic enough to even the smallest of degrees that he should be a pretty solid rotation player. I think it's tough for me to ever see him as a starter because I think he's going to be a pretty clear negative defensively, no matter how smart he, smart he is because he has short arms and he uh, isn't fairly, isn't anything special off uh, laterally. Um, but I could see him as a, as a nice bench piece, um, which I think in, if you're drafting him in the, the mid thirties, which is totally fine. Um I, I don't know. It's it's t- it's just tough to to really know. But um, I would say I'm fairly moderate. I don't hate him. I don't like him. Uh, or I'm not enamored with him. I should say. Um, but he would. I mean, I think he fits a lot of teams because you can always use high IQ players with with good pedigree who can shoot the ball and, and are plus passers. Um, so if he's if he meets the athletic threshold, um, then he's probably gonna be a pretty good player and make make my ranking not look not look very good. <laughs> no, it's one of those things. He's a, and and the negative wingspan too is uh, scary. I know he's. It's like oh, he's six five. It's like oh, he's also has like a six three wingspan. It's like oh, okay, never mind. Uh, oh, last thing before I let you get out of here. Um, I know he's going back to college, but uh, your guy Killian Tilly from Gonzaga. I love Killian Tilly with all my heart, and I was sad to see him go back because I, I interviewed him when he came to uh, work out for the Hawks. I, he was like one of my dream guys in the forties. If uh, if he were to stay in the draft. Um, a, is this the right decision? It's kind of a weird question because we just don't know. But um, do you think he's, uh, you know, for 20, if, if he, he comes back healthy, all that stuff, is he a first-round talent for you next year? Because this is just a selfish question for me because I, I always loved him. Yeah, no, yeah, I think, I mean, I might have, I didn't, I was having trouble. I had, for a while, uh, I had about, I think I had 24, 25 guys on my board that I felt good about. and uh, I just had five blank spots in my first round that I was just kind of, I don't even know. So 
for a while, I was like, I might, I might just throw him in there. Like the skill if you, level. If, kid, he was, like, if, you, if you knew he was healthy, I would have him as a first round pick. That's a much. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. Yeah. I might, I might have him top twenty if I knew he was healthy, just because of the skill yeah. level. Um, so yeah, I think he's got a really good chance to to be a be a first round pick next year. I'm not. I haven't really done much much of any work uh, on next year's class. I don't know how it looks. Besides just talking to some of the, the draft Twitter maniacs. Uh, just basically the guys at the step in who are already on like 2023 or whatever which is incredible um, and i have i have so much respect for the guys who are already like 50 deep on 2020 i'm like guys i i can't I, i've seen like the top 10 guys maybe like twice and that's not yeah. enough so it's um, just funny but yeah yeah no i it's it's tough for me to say it's it's a good decision um obviously i i love that he's coming back um it was t- he just got a really tough shake this year um and i, I know mark few was really bummed about all the injuries he he's he uh, uh occurred or i guess in, endured um uh and then he just never really got kind of got his legs under him and didn't play very much when they lost to texas tech um and i think he's if he can stay healthy he's got a chance to be a really really high draft pick that maybe pushes the lottery um just because he is a big that can shoot he is fairly mobile um he's got to put on strength that's probably one of his biggest concerns um but he can shoot he can pass he's fairly mobile for a four um he can shoot like off screens too um which is very valuable for a big guy um so yeah i think he has a really good chance to improve his stock because he just never really got his legs under him this year um which is a bummer and then obviously selfishly it's it's nice for him to kind of come back and uh be a veteran leader and and uh kind of headline that glut of bigs gonzaga has this year with the recruiting class and then obviously tilly returning so um yeah i'm a big fan of him um, both because he was fun to watch and he just has a nice blend of skill um, and, and smarts that are always, always valuable when you're six ten and can shoot. I'm purposely not going to ask you about Rui um, because he is someone who I know draft Twitter does not enjoy, and I'm kind of with uh, kind of with it, with you on that one. Um, but last Gonzaga thing, and I'm let you go. Zach Norvell uh, also came to work out for the for the Hawks. Shoots the heck out of it. Do you think he's a top forty five guy in this draft? Yeah, I'd say top forty five is about reasonable. You know, I I haven't. I'm I'm hoping to get my top sixty done in the next next month or whatever three weeks. Um, I'm only I'm up to about forty right now, and uh, he's kind of in that range of about forty to forty five for me. Um, the guy he's kind of comp to a lot in terms of like who you prefer to be like Jordan Poole. Uh, I prefer Poole by a little bit, but I'm also a fan of Norvell um, to a degree. But uh, he didn't test very well at the combine athletically, and you can see that borne out through tape. Um, so he's another guy that I'm a little worried. He does have a high skill level but the shot selection is pretty erratic um and he's not always making he doesn't always see the path he's fairly good pass when he wants to be but he doesn't always see the pass um which is a bummer but uh he was a blast to cover like really really personable guy i'm sure you got a first-hand look at him as well when he when he came uh really well spoken good head on his shoulders so um you know it's tough just because i i cover these guns guys so i oh they're such like high character guys you know and i i could all the guys i'm not talking with they could also be high character uh, <laughs> right, people so um, but yeah, he's a guy I'll probably have in either late thirties, early forties, um, because he is skilled enough. Uh, if you, if you can rein in some of the tendencies and I think he'd probably go even higher. Um, but the athletic limitations do worry me because he wasn't, he wasn't very quick and, uh, he didn't have a very good wingspan. Um, so that's always a concern. Um, I th- or not always, I think it's a concern when you can see that it, it re- reflects the tape. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, he, he's a fine guy and truly with Ruby, like I, I think I'm about neutral in him. I have him 27th. So, um, you know, I think some people have them in their forties or fifties or whatever. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's one of those draft 
I don't, know, I don't want to say draft Twitter, but it's like, all right, there's there's a reason Rui is like a top 15 guy in every mock draft. And it's not that he should be there, but it's like, I think the league clearly is going to value him more than people like you and I do, which is, is fine. Um, but he's he's perhaps the poster child since our theme of this podcast has been uh, divisiveness. Rui is probably the number one guy between like where the league seems to be, at least according to the people that are plugged in and where people that watch a lot of tape and do like, do like draft Twitter kind of stuff are because it could be like a 40 spot gap. It's kind of, it's pretty yeah, wild, no. honestly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean he, obviously as, as a Gonzaga fan, he gave me some, some headaches this year with, with some of the things he does, but obviously he did a lot of really good things as well. Um, and I, I don't want to talk about it. Like just, just sure. for me, like no need. someone who covered them, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fairly moderate on him. Uh, I think the fact that he's a kind of the, the catchphrase is, is a grab and go guy who can, snag a rebound and hit a pull-up jumper like that's a valuable trait like regardless of whether or not uh people like him like the fact that you can create your own offense like that grabbing a rebound and hitting a pull-up jumper that's that's valuable so yeah i mean, I, I think it's kind of the same with hunter in the sense of the scoring package like how valuable is it if he hits face-ups and, and post-ups and uh and obviously his passing feel is pretty pretty substandard um but yeah i would say i'm fairly moderate on him i think part of that is because i heard firsthand about the work ethic he put in to kind of get where he was and be able to speak English and all that. Um, and kind of just a high character guy. I know, know him to be, um, just speaking with him and, and all that. So, uh, maybe some of my, just my experience is, is blending into my ranking, um, uh, which I'm fine with. Um, but yeah, I mean, 20, 27 for me, acknowledge some of the upside that he could be a decent player, but obviously acknowledge limitations as well. Um, I, I'm sure that, uh, my experience with uh, guys like Charles Matthews, Iggy Brasdakis and Jordan Poole has nothing to do with how I view them. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's, we all have our little, even if we try to fight against them, we all have our little, uh, you know, bias is not seen as like this dirty word, but we all have biases. It's just kind of what it is. Well, um, and, you, and even, even then you have biases about what type of player you prefer and what type of play style. You oh, prefer. certainly. I mean, I, I'm, even, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm certainly someone who, like, for instance, like Kevin Porter Jr. is like a player I'm never gonna like. And it's not his <laughs> fault. He's just like the kind of guy I'm never gonna like because um, it's all it's all this theoretical. He's definitely a shot creation guy, but he just has all he checks all the boxes of a, of a prospect that I'm just not, I guess, predisposed to liking. It's, that's not him. That's more me. But it's just there's always one or two guys yeah. that, that, don't, that don't that don't fit your mold. You can kind of just acknowledge that and uh, move on and use that as context. Yeah, and that's that kind of goes back to what makes this this thing fun. Is we all value different things, and we all have different backgrounds that influence our rankings. And uh, you know, it's tough for you. Know, like, I think I think draft Twitter and draft people agree on a lot of things, but um, there's enough differences that kind of really influence everyone's rankings and why it's tough to have you like you're just not going to find kind of like snowflakes you're not going to find two top 60 boards that are identical or anything or top 100 boards it's just impossible so um yeah no, it's this is a fun time of year and i was do do a lot of it during the year but um it's more fun when people when other people invest in it that you can actually help out and give them advice and and whatnot and talk with people because you know during the year it's people are ca- caring about the actual actual <laughs> yeah. uh on-court impact or whatever not just like that like people just don't care that that we ever like one assist again like he's averaging 28 on the 20 points and eight rebounds on the number two team in the nation, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's just a fun time of year and, uh, it's just interesting to kind of hear everyone's different draft philosophies. Yeah. This is year two of the Hawks not being in the playoffs. And I just, that extra like <laughs> month of just draft only stuff. Like it basically for at least Hawks fans, it became draft season the day after the season ended. And it's just a nice change in some ways as someone who's always, always loved the draft, but, uh, we all kind of just do this and then it becomes ramped up as soon as the uh, season ends. So, um, well, that's going to probably be a good place to wrap up, but please uh, plug yourself. I know you write on a number of different um, places and uh, in addition to your Gonzaga work, so please share all the places that people can find you and on Twitter and all that stuff. 
Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at JackFrank underscore JJF. Uh, you can find my general NBA and NBA draft work at Fanside at the Step Back. You can find my 76ers coverage at SB Nation's Liberty Ballers and uh, every now and then some, some work for the Athletic Philadelphia. And then my Gonzaga coverage uh, at uh, the Gonzaga Bulletin, which is our student-run newspaper. Um, I think that's it. Um, obviously, I have a, <laughs> my bylines are a lot of different places, but uh, that's where you can find my work. And again, you can follow me on Twitter at JackFrank underscore JJF. If you have questions about uh, my rankings or want to uh, read one of the Grant Williams piece I talked about, uh, feel free to, to reach out to me or, or at me or tag me or whatever. I'll be more than happy to, to share those links or my, uh, my opinions. You're an excellent follow. I'll say it so you don't have to. And uh, go ahead and follow Jackson. And I appreciate you doing this, man. We'll have to uh, talk again uh, very soon. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. As for everybody else, please stay tuned. Please subscribe to this podcast on the Himalaya app as well as other places because the Himalaya app is free, super easy to use as every single podcast that you love or searching for. So check out the Himalaya app today as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, etc. And we'll see everybody next week.